Somebody who's called to be an apostle, um, it's a little bit different than someone who's maybe anointed in the area of helps ministry, correct? And we're not exalting any one over the other, but we realize that there is a difference between the two. Because an apostle has quite a bit of clout, quite a bit of power. It's established by, he's, he's an office or she is an office established by God. But um, apostles versus someone who's in the ministry of helps, uh, there's a little bit of difference between the two. And you can't just appoint yourself to being an apostle. It's a calling. You know, you can't necessarily appoint yourself to anything, but in the area of helps, because like for me, I relate really to that area of ministry of helps. I love that kind of stuff. I'm not so much into the apostle thing. It's great. We've got to have apostles. There's room. There's a place for them. But I like, I like the other stuff. But, you know, I realize that I'm not an apostle. So I don't try to operate like an, like an apostle. I'm a pastor, so I operate in the, in the realm of pastor. In that same line of thought, we realize that each one of us have particular gifts that the Lord has bestowed upon us, and uh, all are not the same. Um, for instance, you know, I can tell you right now, you really don't want me leading you guys in worship. <laughs> now, promise, promise you, you don't, you don't want me leading. And, you know, the thing is, is I could do it, but, you know, that's not my particular anointing, you know, because I'm sure that the Lord has heard me sing and said, oh, dear, Let's give him something, you know. Let's let him play the drums. We'll give him the ability to play the drums. That way it'll drown out the singing. You know, so we'll give him the ability to play some loud clanging cymbals and drums. But, you know, I'm kidding that, you know, to make a point here. Well, I'm not kidding that I can't sing because I can't sing. But, uh, you know, the point is, is that, uh, you know, we all have our thing. And God has given us certain, uh, certain gifts. Some have that over the others. And, uh, you know, that's why Jen does it. She does a great job at it. So we let her do it. So just understand that because um, um, he gives one person one thing. He doesn't give everybody the same thing. Turning that around, on the other hand, there are gifts that God has given to all of us, to all of us as believers. Every spirit-filled believer has the gift of speaking in tongues. Would you say that's true? I have met spirit-filled believers who claim to be spirit-filled believers who don't. But everyone who is spirit-filled, they have that gift readily available to them. It's been given to them. It's yours for the taking. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord, thank you. I take it. That's mine. I'll open my mouth, and I will let these words flow out. I'll just give, you, give it over to you. And let me just throw this out, just a little side note. If, if that's something you've ever struggled with, because I've met many Christians who call themselves spirit-filled believers who have struggled with tongues, um, let me just share my experience in that. Uh, when I'd been a Christian most of my life, and when I entered my early adulthood, early 20s, I decided that I wanted, I wanted that. You know, I wanted to take that next step. I'd been following God most of my life. I wanted more power. I wanted to go further with God. So I asked for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I asked Him to receive me. And I was expecting that as soon as I did that, that it would be like a lightning bolt hit me. And all of a sudden, all these words would just start flying out of my mouth. And, you know, I've seen that happen before. I have seen people, when they ask for the Holy Spirit, man, they open their mouth, and the words just came flying out. For me, for whatever reason, it didn't happen that way. And I was very discouraged. I was very discouraged because I'm just sitting here like waiting for something to happen that never happened. And so I said, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to continue to believe you and just press in. And I prayed for several days. I prayed for several days for this. And I was doing this all by myself, guys. I didn't have a whole lot of support. Uh, nobody else in my family really cared to go this direction with me. So uh, not a lot of support, but I kept pressing on. And after several days, I got... I'm not even sure if it was a word. It's like a syllable of a word, you know, in this other language. I'm just like, okay, well, that was a little, 
uh, less than what I was expecting. But you know what? I was obedient, and I just kept saying that one word, that one syllable. I was just like, this is what I'm hearing, so I'm just going to say it over. And, and as soon as I started doing that, it started coming. It started coming. And I just share that with you. Now, I'm not even really sure why. I just felt necessary to share that. If, uh, if you're struggling with that, you know, be comforted because your spiritual language will come if, you, if it hasn't yet. And if you want somebody to pray with you over that, get a hold of me or somebody afterwards will pray with you. But, you know, just know that it's different for everybody. But what God is looking for, and He, he taught me this. And this is what He really taught me. He said, I'm looking for obedient hearts. I'm looking for people that if it doesn't go like everybody says it's going to go or if it doesn't line up with your preconceived ideas of how you think it's going to go, are you going to push in anyway? And he instilled that in me. I mean, we're talking, this is my very first step into the spirit-filled Christian life, you know. I thought, well, hey, I asked for the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues, it should be mine right now. I even had to fight for that. You know, there's some that have had to fight for that. But you know what? He was looking for an obedient heart on my behalf. He wanted me to press in and to keep after him because I knew it was his gift, his, his promise to me. And he wanted to know if I was willing to go after him full, full throttle for it. So don't give up no matter where you're at. All may speak in tongues even though all do not. It is for everyone. So another way of stating it is like this. Uh, the gifts that are given to all, such as speaking in tongues, is not only a gift, but it's a promise. Okay? Certain gifts we have, yes, certain offices that we walk in, we understand that. Some are gifted musically, some are gifted uh, artistically in various ways. But the gifts that are available to all of us, I look at it more like it's a promise. Because if it's a promise, it's given to all. God says, I will give this to you. I will do this for you. That is a promise. And God does not go back on his promises. Likewise, all may prophesy because it falls into the category of the promise. You guys... Do you see what I'm saying, that prophecy? Go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 2. I'll kind of get into it, show you a little bit of what we're talking about here. My title tonight is The Promise of Prophecy. Acts chapter 2. This is the account of the day of Pentecost. Starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance thing that strikes me is, when, especially early on when I was reading that, the question came to me, is that event as relevant today as it was back then? And it's sure, absolutely. It's very relevant because this was the very first Christian church gathering that we have an account of. So whatever was relevant to them that day is relevant to us right now. Let's jump down to... Uh, uh, 
a little further in chapter 2, verse uh, 17, picking up there. Now this, is, um, now, this is Peter's explanation of what was going on because I know you're, most of you are very uh, well acquainted with the story. They began speaking in tongues, and there were men from every nation, every corner of the world that were in Jerusalem. They began to hear people speaking in their native tongue. They wanted to know what was going on. Some thought they were drunk. And this was uh, uh, Peter. This was his uh, explanation t- uh, to what he was saying to the people. And it says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, what he's saying here in those last days, we have to understand that in the dispensation of time of what God considers the last days. God considers the last days from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven in the establishing of his church and through what happened on on the day of Pentecost up until now until whenever he decides to come back. These are called the last days. So that right there was fulfillment of of prophecy, the beginning of it, but even today as what we walk in, you know, the, the dreaming dreams, you know, having visions and prophetically speaking things, that is all fulfillment of what God was saying was part of the last days. And, I mean, a lot of people get really caught up on, on well, what times, you know, are we living in? Are these the last of the last days? I don't know where we're at, but, you know, it's, it's good, whatever it is. And, you know, we can't say that, yeah, we are in the last days because we know in the dispensation of time, in God's timetable, that from that point on, He does consider these the last days. But I think we should be more focused in on the blessings and the gifts and promises of what we have as believers in the last days versus looking at all the signs. If you want to look for signs for last days, it's not hard. You can look out there and you can, you can say, well, this is that, and you know, that's what this was talking about. But I always do this. I always look at the condition of the church because that tells you exactly where we are in time. Because there's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always going to be bad things happening. But take a look at the church. Wherever the church is, that tells you exactly where we are in time and in, in exactly in the last days. And the church has a little bit further to go, I do believe. And, you know, we're going to start walking in that. And, then, you know, some people, that's a discouraging thing because they just want to get out of here. But you know what? God's still got some things he wants to do. And so keep your eye on the church. That's what you need to be marking in time here. But I find it uh, really interesting here. Um, you know, this is what I was seeing when I read this. Um, I saw a connection between being filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, and prophesying. And I never really put that all together until I was really just kind of reading over all this. See, Peter made no distinction between these events because the rushing wind, the coming of the Holy Spirit came and filled the people and they began to speak in tongues. We always see that hand in hand. But he began to quote the Scripture that all will prophesy. So it was all together. He made no distinction between, uh, between the, the speaking in tongues, being filled with the Spirit, and prophesying. prophesying. It says, may I speak in tongues? May I prophesy? Yes, absolutely, you may do both. Um, it's almost like a package deal. You get the one, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you get the rest of it. It's like the Holy Spirit is the gift, but the speaking in tongues and the prophecy is the promise that you get out of it. If we're going to get our theology... Straight, we got to get it right out of the Bible. I said, I've said it many times. I'm amazed at how many times, how many uh, arguments I've gotten in with believers and non-believers on what they think is right and wrong, and what God is and what God isn't. And it's like, guys, if it doesn't line up with the Word, then it's wrong. We got to get our theology out of the Bible. 
So when you have a question on any particular subject, go right to the source. And, and so tonight, since our emphasis is on, on prophetic ministry, prophecies, and things like that, the question is that we get all the time is, yeah, but can anybody just do that? Yes. Yes, this is a promise. We see it right here. I mean, this is foundational stuff to us. This is stuff we came into late in our walk. But this was the very first church church get-together. You know, the Holy Spirit showed up and people started prophesying. So, yes, this is for you. You can do this. This is a gift for everyone. Acts chapter 2 is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what Jesus promised. That's the promise that he gave, that he must leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. He told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, he made this promise to several thousand people, but by the time it came, there was only a little over a hundred there that was still waiting on it. But I hope you're seeing this. Our God is a God of promises, and we are to be a people of faith. He's a promise-making God, and we are to be a people of faith. To be his people and recipi recipients of his promises, there are really only two requirements. Um, it's always been that way and it's never changed. And, you know, I, let me just put this out right now. I'm not one of these formula guys. You know, I'm not into this whole thing of, of going to church and getting your seven steps, you know, to a happier, healthier uh, life this week. Come back next week and I'll give you seven more steps. You know, I realize that there are certain things that you can do that make things better, that make life better. I'm just not a steps guy. And as I was going through this, I was I was looking at it from the standpoint, it's like, okay, God, there's got to be something that we as believers go through that we do in order to obtain this, you know, not necessarily looking for steps, but, you know, what is our part of this? And as I was studying going through this and just looking at different stories in the Bible, I found, to my surprise, that there were really only two things uh, that were necessary uh, for a believer to accept the promises that God has given and the gifts that He has given. And it's real deep. It's real hard. Uh, believe and obey. It breaks down to that simple. You know, you can make a list and have, you know, five, six, seven, ten steps. But I broke it down to the simplest equation. Believe Him and obey Him. In anything you do, whether we're talking about prophetic ministry, whether we are talking about going and laying hands on someone who needs prayer for healing, or you just believe in Him for your next paycheck, believe and obey. See, it's so simple, yet it's not too easy, if, if that makes sense. Because, you know, simple, uh, by definition, means not sophisticated, plain. Easy uh, means causing or involving little difficulty or discomfort. It's a very simple concept to get, but believing and obeying God is not always an easy thing. And I think we all realize that because if, we, if it was, there'd probably be a lot more people doing it. But it's real easy to take the, 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 you know, the broad way instead of the narrow way. I think that that's where many lose interest. I might go so far as to say a large percentage lose interest. It's the very simple thing of believing and obeying. It's so simple, but yet so hard. Believing and obeying, that's the difference between success and failure. And the difference in pleasing and not pleasing Him. And I want, I want that, take a second here and let that sink in, because oftentimes we, we kind of connect pleasing God or not pleasing God as getting His love or not getting His love. Being accepted, not being accepted. And that's not it. 
If that's, if that's what, when you hear, well, you didn't please God or that's not pleasing to God, if that's what you're getting, you're wrong. Because I look at it this way. I have a great relationship uh, with my folks growing up. And like with my mother even now, you know, I know that she would give her life. She'd lay her life down for me or the kids. I mean, wouldn't even think about it. Have an excellent relationship with her. I have no doubt whatsoever that she loves me. None. But I have done things in life that she did not agree with, that she was displeased with. And she had a right to be displeased with, you know. Some things we just did not agree upon. We didn't see eye to eye. But you know what? She never stopped loving me. So I want you to be sure that you have that straight, that there's a difference between, excuse me, pleasing and displeasing God. It never changes the fact that He loves you and accepts you, okay? So when I say that the way that you please God is to believe Him and to obey Him, I'm, I'm not saying at all, you know, we're not getting over into the works thing. I'm not saying at all that if, if you displeased Him by not believing Him or obeying Him, that, that you've lost His love because you won't. You'll never lose His love because it's there. It's just like a mom loves her child. It doesn't matter. It's always there. I mean, let's face it. He, he loved us before we were ever even born. He loved us enough to send Jesus before we even existed, okay? So there's nothing you're going to do to gain or lose His love. Now, you can walk away from Him, and that's your choice. But He's made a decision that He's going to love you. He may be displeased with you from time to time, but He loves you no matter what. I'm not saying that you can do anything you want and still get into heaven. But He gives you that choice of free will. So there's difference in pleasing and not pleasing Him. Who wins or benefits from believing and obeying God? God or you? God. No, you. You, absolutely, it's you. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a popular teaching that kind of goes around that people are kind of like, well, God needs us. No, He don't. He don't need us. He's God. We're created beings. You know, God is not a hard taskmaster, and He is not one of these guys that gets some kind of power trip out of you being obedient. He is power. He don't need a power trip. Okay, It's you that benefits. It's you that benefits, and that's why He sets these things in place, because it's you that benefit from it. Jesus gave the command to wait. And I don't know what the exact numbers are. I've heard varying numbers that there were, you know, at the time that he, after his uh, resurrection and came back, that he still had hundreds, maybe even a thousand or so followers that he had appeared to in the 40, 45 days that after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven. But, you know, he made that, he made that uh, uh, command to, to uh, all those people. He goes, I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the gift, for the promise. And the promise was, of course, the Holy Spirit. And I find it really amazing that in a short period of time, in just a few weeks, it dwindled down all the way to 120 people. That's very interesting, I think. God, Jesus himself gave the command to wait, and only 120 obeyed. Only 120 believed. It's not a big club, but it is his way. Turn with me over to Romans 4. Romans 4. I love this passage. One of my favorites.
in tonight as we proceed, we're going to give everybody an opportunity to do some prophetic activations, and then the, the prophetic teams will be ministering uh, at the end uh, to anybody who has a prophetic word. But every month that we do this, we like to bring out a different uh, aspect of it. And, and what I want to encourage you tonight, I guess what I'm trying to get to here is I want you to realize that that your ability to prophesy, whether it be in a congregation, to give a congregational prophecy like, like we had a few do tonight, or whether it's to be on a prophetic team and minister that way, uh, or just to pray prophetically for somebody, um, I want you to realize that this is not um, something that's reserved for, you know, the mystics, you know, the super spiritual guys. You know, it's for everybody. It's, it, it is a gift. You know, it's a promise that God has made for each one of us. And unlike the gifts of, like, uh, talents and abilities with musical instruments or, or dance or things like that, you know, certainly we're not all able to do that, but we are all able to prophesy. And I want you to just get that. I mean, we just hammer that in over and over because we want people to realize that, you know, this is for you. As a modern-day believer, spirit-filled believer, this is most certainly for you. Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Righteousness simply means in right standing with God. And Donna has done a teaching, a little commercial time here. Donna's done a teaching on righteousness in Christ. And if you have not gotten that teaching, that CD set, get it. And if you have gotten it, haven't listened to it in a while, listen to it again because that needs to get in deep to you. I don't Do we even have any of those on the table back there, Jen? We have them on the table. They're on sale. Okay. Great. If you don't have them, get them. Because I can tell you right now, I, I know talking with people, and it don't have to be about any specific subject, but if we're talking about God or the Bible, I know right away if they've got this or not. If you've got this teaching, the whole way you look at everything changes. It will change the way you look at everything because you begin to realize that there's not a darn thing you can do to be in right standing with God. He's, he's done it all. He's done it all. So I highly recommend uh, get that. So how did Abraham enter into his place of right standing with God? We read it in verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. There is that first step. He believed God. Abraham believed and obeyed and received the promise of a son which produced a many-nationed family. You may say, well, that was just too simple. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He had no reason to believe anything that what was being said to him. I mean, he was a stranger in a strange land talking to a strange God. These were not his ways. He was not used to this. A strange God told him to go to a distant land and he went. And when he got there, he began to speak to him about, about his seed, about his heir. And Abraham was not a young man. And there was no physical reason for him to believe that this strange God that he had not yet really come to know would bless him and cause him to produce. But he believed and he obeyed. Let's pick it up in verse 9. 
We'll go ahead and read this. Um, like I said, this chapter here, it goes, and you can read the account back in Genesis, but I, I just love this stuff, and, and well, I'm in charge tonight, so we're going to read this. So Stick with me. If, if, this is a lot here. It, it's kind of a play on words sometimes, but if it's easier for you, just close your eyes and listen fine, or if you want to follow along, it's fine too. But in verse 9 it says, Is this blessing then on the circumcised or the uncircumcised also? For we say, Faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while, while circumcised, but uncircumcised. In other words, he had not done anything to gain, to be credited this righteousness yet. Because the circumcision, that became the law later. That was just a, a sign in the flesh that there was covenant, that there was uh, a connection there. But it was already done in his heart. It was already done. It wasn't because he circumcised himself that God did this. He did this. He circumcised himself because God did. You know what I'm saying? He didn't have to go gain it. Because by then, as we read earlier, it would not be credited to him. It would be a wage that was paid because he did something for it. He did nothing for it. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believed without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law... There is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I love that scripture. So just as, as with Abraham, it was with the first church right up to now. You receive the promises through believing that what God says is exactly true. There's nothing we can do to receive his promises. There's nothing we can do on our behalf. Now we can be, we can be obedient disciples, but that's being an obedient disciple. To get these, these promises, there's nothing we can do but believe and obey. Just as it was with Abraham, um, it was a promised son. As it was with the children of Israel, it was a promised land. And so it is with the church, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And with that comes prophetically speaking and gifts of prophecy. And I love that because in verse 17 it ends up, it's a very prophetic statement. It says, God who gives life to the dead and calls into being which those things that do not exist. You know, that's being prophetic. That's calling things in. I, and I can tell you, as a church, you know, we have been prophetically praying and calling things in for years now, for years, and we're starting to see the, those things manifest, actually manifest in the flesh. And something that you have to realize, that for something to manifest in the flesh, it's already happened in the Spirit. Okay, this realm of existence that we live in, it's the last to manifest anything that's going on. It starts in the Spirit. And your words and your prayers and your actions and your obedience 
you know, determines on what's going to happen, what's going to play out in, in both the spirit realm and this physical realm that we live in. I find it so interesting because for many years now, being in, in, in the spirit-filled life, uh, I would say probably 15, maybe even 20 years now, I've heard this saying, you know, uh, people saying prophetically and in praise and worship, to take the cities, you know, to take the city. And, you know, we'd pray these things over and over and, you know, come against principalities and powers as the Lord would direct us to, you know, and sing uh, warfare, prophetic warfare type songs against these things. And it was wonderful and it was necessary. But the thing is, is as we were doing that, establishing that in the spiritual, it started, we're starting to see it now manifest itself in the physical because we are coming into that place where we are seeing Christians rise up. We are seeing Christians come up with power and being able to overtake cities for His kingdom. You know, and I'm not talking about just building as many churches as we can. Building churches is fine and it's wonderful. But uh, I'm talking about being actual influences on culture. You know, changing cities, changing neighborhoods. The church is starting to walk into that. We're starting to see the very first fruits of that in the physical. But you know what? We were praying that for years in the past. And sometimes we were just like, ah, why are we praying this again? I don't see anything change. It's starting to change because we were calling things that were not as though they were. We were calling those things into being. And I just, that's one of those scriptures that I just absolutely love. God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's part of your prophetic calling, you know, to prophetically decree things. Unfortunately, we have several examples uh, throughout the word of those who did not believe and those who did not obey. Um, the first one that came to mind uh, for me was the children of Israel. You know, they were, uh, they were a funny group of people. Uh, in captivity for 400 years, and then when they got their freedom, they wanted to go back. Um, they didn't like things hard. They didn't like things difficult. They complained about having to walk through the wilderness. They complained about having to eat the same food over and over again. And, you know, God had had enough of that, and he had to have a whole generation die off because of unbelief before they could enter into the promised land because their unbelief held back the promise. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Their unbelief held back the promise. And one of the stories that I that once I had read and had really read it with full understanding and had really stopped and meditated on it, uh, it really, I mean, I, I even actually cried after I read it. But, you know, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. And to me, that was, that was devastating because here's a man that had laid his entire life down, had given up all to bring these people out, and one act of disobedience cost him everything. So you had a whole generation of people because of unbelief and disobedience did not receive their promise. There was only a few, very few. You had Caleb and uh, Joshua. You know, they went and saw, scouted out the land, and they're the only two that came back with a good report. Everybody else was scared. All the, all the others saw were giants. And those two saw, yeah, it's true. Everything we heard about this promised land, it's good stuff. It's ours. Let's take it. You know, they got it. They got the promise because they believed and they obeyed. The rest of the early believers, another example of those who missed it. There were many, many followers at the time of Jesus' ascension, as I said a few minutes ago. Where'd they all go? I think it's really sad because here we see the first established Christian church. And within a few weeks, we had our first church split. You know? They probably said, yeah, you know what? I, I think the leaders missed it. Now, I don't know. We were supposed to go wait for this Holy Spirit, but nothing came. 
own church now. We're going to go somewhere else. We'll move out of Jerusalem, let them have Jerusalem. Or maybe the praise and worship wasn't as cutting edge as they thought it should be. I get so tired of hearing that kind of stuff. The excuses people make to leave a church. See, whatever the reason, it went from probably well over 1,000 to 120 in just a few weeks. They went from the big first church of Jesus to the small upper room crowd. How sad. How sad. And we see it today. I hear stories every day about churches just splitting over crazy stuff. And it's really sad. You know what? That tells you the maturity of the believers that are involved. A mature believer will stick it out no matter what. I'm looking at some mature believers. I have deep respect for all these people sitting here because I've seen you guys stick some things out. They believe no matter what and they obey no matter what. And that's why God compares us to uh, uh, being his followers as being in the army, being soldiers, enduring things. Because when you're a soldier, your opinion doesn't matter. God's not looking for your opinion. He's looking for your obedience. Your response to whatever he says is, yes, sir. Do you believe him? Are you willing to obey him? These 120 received the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues, and the prom promise of prophecy. Those others did not. See, it's a privilege to be able to experience God through His Holy Spirit. And likewise, it's a privilege to walk in the gift of prophecy. And we have to see it that way. It is. It's a privilege that He would even use us in this manner. Would you agree? Are we ready to practice a little bit of what we've been preaching here? Do you believe that the promise of prophecy is for you as a spirit-filled believer? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to do a couple activations here. And uh, just take a little bit of time. And then after we get done with that, then the prophetic teams are going to, are going to minister to whoever wants a prophetic word. Um, so right now, I want you to partner up. I want you to grab a partner.